0: Uh, We're looking at uh, chapter 5, verse uh, 30, uh, 30, or 43, rather, verse 43. It's the sixth illustration we've been dealing with for several Sundays. And, of course, you've had a couple Sundays off from it, so we're coming back to it again. And it's the sixth illustration in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, in this first chapter. Chapter 5, 6, and 7 make up the Sermon on the Mount. And in the Sermon on the Mount, he gives the premise of his sermon of the fundamental basic and if you miss the premise you've missed it all because you'll misinterpret everything that he's trying to say but he gives the premise which is the fact that you're absolutely helpless you uh, cannot if I take a knife and slice you down the middle go to the core of your insides and find what produces you what makes you who you are what forms your attitude what shapes you what what dominates you the source of your living what I find there is absolutely nothing Because you are totally helpless in your spirit. And you're not that way because you've sinned. Although you have sinned. But that's not why you're that way. You're that way because God created you to be that way. And what he was after was you in who you are in your helplessness. He he and who he is in his great nature and strength would come together. You and him would come together. In what we're calling a merger. It's the two of you becoming saturated together together. Two of you operating as one. You coming under his influence. You and him being fused together. Welded together. And in that welding together. You become what the Bible calls a new creature. You can't be this on your own. You can do rules and that kind of stuff. And be religious on your own. But you can't be the new creature. The new creature is in biblical terms is born again. It's uh, all of those kind of terms that the scripture uses. This new creature thing is phenomenal. And it's you and him coming into an intimacy of relationship. The big man upstairs concept, that's gone. In the New Testament, that's gone. That was an Old Testament concept. New Testament concept, he, it's not, he's not out there. He's come to be in here. And he wants to literally, his nature, who he is, literally move through the pores of your flesh, indwell you, and you and him would become one in operation. You would begin to think like he thinks. You'd begin to feel like he feels. You'd begin to want what he wants. Uh, so, this is not a discipline of yourself to shape up to a standard that he's set for you. This is an intimacy of his person where you begin to operate under his influence. That's his whole premise. Now he says, I know you didn't understand that. So I want to illustrate it for you. And he gives these six illustrations. And they are phenomenal. This is the sixth one. Which is the climax of the illustrations. And it's verse 43. You have heard that it was said. You shall love your neighbor. Hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. And pray for those who spitefully use you. And persecute you. That... You may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good. And sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you. What reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet your brothers. Your brethren only. What do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so. Therefore. You shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. We're focusing on verse uh, 47. And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Uh, Several Wednesday nights ago, we uh, interrupted our study on Wednesday night just to have a discussion. And we discussed the issue of sin, basically. Because there's a lot of confusion about sin. In fact, if you go through the evangelical church, a lot of the divisions we have uh, uh, between denominations are based upon your concept of sin. And if you're confused about sin, you're going to be confused about redemption. Because redemption and how you view the death of Jesus and his redeeming love always is based upon your concept of sin. If sin is really severe and big and huge and destructive and damning and divides you from God, then redemption becomes, oh, overwhelming and important because it rescues you from sin. So there's all these questions about sin. Questions like, what exactly is a sin? Questions like, can God forgive all sins? All sins. Questions like, uh, is it possible to live without sinning? Can you have total victory over sin? All of these are questions that in the bottom line of things, you really need to come to grips with. You need to think through in your own mind and in your own heart and come to grips with clarity in in those areas. Uh, There is a way to have clarity in those areas, by the way. You can have clarity and know the truth if, 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 it's a big if. If you are totally honest, if you really want the truth, if you won't cover up, if you'll be wide open, if you are really surrendered, if you say, God, everything is up for grabs, whatever you want to change is okay, I'm not going to hold on to anything. See, the problem comes in when I rationalize, when I say, oh, yeah, these things, and I can judge others because I don't do those things, but these things I'm going to hold on to. And I and that, see, that shapes my thinking about sin because I, I cover, I excuse, I rationalize. You can't do that and find truth and know the confusion is going to permeate your mind and heart unless you come in total, absolute honesty. So if you are honest, I'm trying to say to you, if you are really honest, if you really will surrender, if you really, hey, you put down your pride and say, hey, here I am. I really want to be right in your eyes, God. And I want you to reveal truth to me. And if you're really open for him to change anything in your life, he wants to, he is going to clear up the confusion in your heart and mind and give you the reality of what this is really all about. For instance, is there forgiveness for all sin? Will Jesus forgive all sin? It's an interesting chapter in chapter 12 of the book of Matthew. Uh, It's one, the whole chapter focuses on one day. And the one day is a Sabbath day which you know, of course, was really sacred to the Jews. This one Sabbath day, uh, the disciples are walking down a pathway, and hey, the grain is, is ripe, and it's hanging over in the, near the pathway, and the disciples walk by and pick the grain. They take the grain, and they rub it between their hands, which is thrashing, and then they blow the chaff away, which is winnowing, and then they, they shape it and, and mix it And put it in their mouth and eat it. Which is preparing a meal. So they have broken the Sabbath day law four times. The issue is not stealing. Because they are allowed to do that. Uh, Guys who are passing by can pick the grain and eat. You couldn't get a sickle and go in and harvest. But you could pick and eat for yourself. That was okay. So the issue is not stealing. The issue is you cannot pick Grain on the Sabbath day. You cannot thrash on the Sabbath day. You cannot winnow on the Sabbath day. You cannot prepare a meal on the Sabbath day. Those four things are out. So each one of those can be punished by stoning you to death. So we're going to stone you to death four times. (laughs) They are all over Jesus about that. They get all over Jesus saying, You're disciples. And they criticize and they pick and they're all over him about that. In fact, they're on their way to the synagogue for morning worship, Sabbath day worship. So they bring this guy, plot and plan, the Pharisees do. They bring this guy who has a withered hand. And they plant him right at the front door of the of the synagogue. Because they know exactly what Jesus will do. Jesus will heal the guy. You know he will. It's the way he is. So Jesus walks in, sure enough, there he goes, heals the guy with the withered hand, which is a breaking of the Sabbath day law, because you can't do that, you cannot do a medical procedure on the Sabbath day. That's a, hey, we can stone you to death for that. So they're bent out of shape about that. They are so bent out of shape about this whole thing, they immediately go off to a conference room where there's a big oak table, sit around the oak table, and plot murder. Now, you can plan murder on the Sabbath day, but you can't pick grain and you can't heal a withered hand. You've got to keep the rules straight, guys. Aren't we something? It's just amazing. So they're plotting murder. Well, while they're plotting murder, how they're going to kill Jesus? What, what what is Jesus doing? Well, this crowd begins to grow, and so he's out there. And the more the more he's there, the more, the more the bigger the crowd gets. And he's healing, healing everybody on the Sabbath day. He just says it. Just says he healed them all. And there was mar- We have no idea how many miracles there were. Just miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. And about the time he reaches in the middle of all this procedure, he reaches that there's a guy, there's a teenager. Who has a demon. And Jesus cast out the demon. Well it's about that time. That the Pharisees come out of their meeting. On plotting murder. And, uh, and appear in the crowd. And they see Jesus casting out this demon. So it's like a wave. That moves through the crowd. Because as, this, as they look at this casting out the demons, and it wasn't just that, but it was all the miracles Jesus did. They begin to look at each other and say, whoa, could this be the Messiah? Is this the one we've been waiting for all the time? Is this the one the prophets have been talking about? Whoa, this could be. And they're just hyper about this. And the Pharisees hear all of this. So they say, they they come and mix in with the crowd and say, Whoa, 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 whoa. He's not the Messiah. No, no, no. Let me tell you what the real truth is. He is in league. He is in league with Beelzebub, the prince of demons. The way he casts out demons is by the power of the devil. He's full of the devil himself. Jesus looks at him and says, Guys, what are you talking about? Come on. A kingdom... Divided against itself. Can't stand. So if I'm full of the devil. And I'm conquering and casting out devils. And taking over demonic territory. That. What? Come on. That can't be. And then he turns to them and says. Now this is Matthew 12.31. Therefore. I say to you. Every. Every. Sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men. Now that's a bold statement. Did you hear that? Therefore I say to you. Every sin. Every sin. Not most sins. Not part part sins. Not well. Sins that are okay sins. There's not okay sins and okay sins. Not that. It's all sins, all sin I'm going to forgive, all sin. And blasphemy, well, that's a statement by Jesus, man. You can take that to the bank. I'm going to forgive. There is absolutely nothing you have ever done or will ever do that will blockade you from the forgiveness of God. God literally forgives all. All sins. In fact it's bigger than that. And you've heard us talk about this. It isn't that he is going to forgive you. It's he's already forgiven you. See, you can't come to an altar today and weep and cry and repent and say, Oh, God, forgive me and have God forgive you today. He cannot forgive you today. I am sorry. God will not forgive you today. The reason is because he's already done it. (laughs) This is not, he loves me, he loves me not, he loves me. This is not, pray a little more. This is not, well, fast three meals. This is not, give the preacher $50, which is not a bad idea. But that's not what this is. This is, you are are forgiven you may not live in it hey you might may not cash in on it hey it's in the bank but you may not draw on it hey that's your business you can go to hell and be unforgiven i got that but in the mind and the heart and in relationship in the position in the heavenly realms in all that god dreams for your life you are forgiven that's a given. All sin, have you got it? All sin, there isn't anything you will ever do or have ever done that God will not forgive. 1 John 1 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us. That's already in place. He's already done that. There is forgiveness. Are there any exceptions? Yes. That's the next statement. You ready for this? In chapter 12, verse 31, Matthew, he says, Therefore I say to you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men. But the blasphemy, oh, the exception is in the blasphemy, not in the sin." See, all my life I've been taught about an unpardonable sin. What is it? What is the deed that you do that is unpardonable? Where is the line? And when you cross it, whoo, you're done. What is the unpardonable sin? There is no unpardonable sin. Amen. That's what he says. Every sin. There is an unpardonable blasphemy. But not an unpardonable sin. That's the passage. Come on, that's the passage, right? Listen to it again. Therefore I say to you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven. But the one exception to that is the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven men. All sin is forgiven, but there's a blasphemy that's not forgiven. And it's a blasphemy against the Spirit. Now, what's this blasphemy thing? Oh, hate to tell you this. Blasphemy is saying, means the word means saying stupid things. Are we never in trouble? (laughs) (laughs) And it has at its core the idea of against. So I'm saying stupid thing against. Now remember the setting of this. The Pharisees have just come out of a meeting where they are plotting murder. And they just looked at Jesus in the midst of this crowd and said, well, he's full of the devil. Cast out demons by the power of Beelzebub. Jesus says, blasphemy, saying stupid things against. See the picture? Saying stupid things against. Now, the Bible is very clear on the fact that saying stupid things or saying anything comes from inside. That whatever's in the inside comes out the mouth. Jesus said, It isn't what goes in the mouth that defiles a man, it's what comes out of the mouth because it comes from the heart. So, blasphemy of the spirit. And whether you want to have it the Holy Spirit or whether you want to have it your own spirit really doesn't matter. But what he's saying in the passage is that what comes out of you from the inside, in other words, down inside of you, there is a nature. There is a element of blasphemy. If you want to call it sin, fine. So he defines sin in twofold. There is sin deed. All sin deeds are forgiven. But there is a sin nature. Come on, you can figure that out. Why do you do the deed? Because you'd have the sin nature within. Because you have the attitude, the internal. You have this heart thing. There's this deal inside of me that just wants See, the reason I hit you in the mouth is because I have this inner feeling that you're getting in my way. You are, you make me, you, it's, see, I've got this nature. The Bible calls it what we talked about it the other night, calls it a lot of things, flesh, carnal, not physical flesh, but carnal There's a nature within you, a nature of rebellion that wants to fight against. A nature that says, hey, what exactly is this nature? Well, we've defined it in terms of self-centeredness. See, I'm full of myself. In other words, I was created by God to be helpless, and I'm not going to be helpless. I'm going to run my own show. I was built to come under the control and influence of God and merge with him. I'm not going to merge with him. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to say what I want to say. I'm going to be what I want to be. And I am in rebellion against God and his authority in my life. And I'm, hey, nobody's going to push me around. Nobody's going to, hey. What's that attitude? That attitude of self centeredness, that attitude of got to have my own way, that attitude. Do you realize every deed of sin comes from that attitude? That's the sin business. Those two aspects. Now, can deeds of sin be forgiven? No problem. But this attitude, nature, cannot be forgiven. You mean God just made, God's just mad and he won't forgive? No. it isn't. That the reason it can't be forgiven isn't because of God. It isn't because God is mad. It's because it doesn't solve the problem. See, you can double up your fist and sock me in the mouth. Fine. I forgive you. I do. Hey, I got to pay for it. I know that i got to go to the dentist, get my tooth removed because you broke it in half. i got to have my jaw wired. i got to go through the pain. i got to pay the bill, but I forgive you. But that, that the fact that I forgive you doesn't change the fact that if you and I get into a, get into a situation again, you're going to double up your fist and sock me again. So that doesn't change you, does it? See, I can forgive you, but it doesn't change you. So forgiveness, it's not the solution because it doesn't solve the problem. The nature can't be forgiven because it doesn't solve the problem of the nature. Well, what has to happen then? He forgives all the deeds of sin, but the nature of sin. Well, the Bible language is really strong on it because the Bible language is crucifixion. The Bible language is death. The Bible language is elimination. The Bible language is that something has to take place in your life that eliminates this, 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 this nature within you so that you're not that way anymore. That's not a forgiveness thing. Forgiveness has to happen. No question about that. Forgiveness is a big deal. We're not demeaning it. But forgiveness absolutely took place, has to take place. And when forgiveness takes place, alteration, transformation. And how does that take place? Somebody has to do that for you. So if you turn to me and say, well, Manly, what do you want me to do? I don't want you to do anything about this. Why? Because you can. Because if you did something about it, it would be more self-centeredness. See, that's what he's saying in chapter 6 of Matthew that we'll get into eventually. Because in chapter 6, as he goes on in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, Hey, what if I give money to charitable deeds? What, what, if I, what if I help the poor? What if I, what if I feed the homeless? What, what if I do that? He says, when you do that, you do that, why? To be seen. Which is what? More self-centeredness, which is the nature. So you don't express your nature by hitting people in the mouth anymore. You express your sinful self-centered nature by what? By generosity and everybody applauds and you say, thank you, thank you. Well, what do you want me to do, manly? Well, how about prayer? Oh, I'll pray more. I will pray more. I will pray more. And what does that produce? That produces, again, self-centeredness. You pray out of self-centeredness. You stand on the street corner, he says, and you say these glorious prayers. And everybody says, whoa, can he really pray? Long, too. Whoa. How is that any different than doubling up your fist and socking a guy in the mouth out of self-centeredness? Only now it's a religious self-centeredness, but it's the same stinking nature of sin. Oh, I'll fast. How will that be? I'll fast my meals. He says in chapter six. Oh, good. I'm fasting my meals. Oh, you look like oh, you look like you're sick. Well, I'm fasting. You look like you're in your clothes. Well, I've been praying. And why do you do that? So everybody. Oh, thank you, thank you. Which is the same. See you cannot get out of this nature. By doing something yourself. Because that only feeds the nature. Do you see that? So you never get out of self-centeredness. By more self-centeredness. Because it only creates more self-centeredness. So it's a trap. So somebody has to do this. To you. Well who does this to you? That's why crucifixion is the Bible language. Because what really happened on this cross was the death, the elimination of that nature. Jesus went to war, went to battle with the overwhelming nature of sin. Not just the deed, the deed, yes, but not just the deed. He went to battle with the overwhelming nature of sin and took that thing in himself and crucified it and brought it to death and conquered it even in hell. So that you could be crucified. Oh, Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. <coughs> oh, I don't live. Yes, I do live. Well, no, I don't. Well, I, yeah, well, I am alive. Well, no, but well, it's Christ that lives in me. And the old selfish, self-centered self that had to have its own way has literally been nailed to a tree. He did that for me. And in that nailing to a tree, I have become free. Now, every one of his illustrations in chapter 5 come back to this. The first illustration. The old timer says, well, thou shalt not murder. I don't kill people. I hate their cuts. I'm angry inside. I'm all upset all the time. But hey, I'm putting a lid on it. Not going to kill you. Jesus says... Let's not deal with the act, the deed of murder. Let's deal with what produces murder. What if you didn't feel like killing anybody? Wow. How could that be? What if you didn't feel like putting anybody down? What if you didn't feel like hitting anybody? What, what, if, what if that changed inside of you where you didn't, oh, how am I going to do that? You can't. (laughs) Why? You're helpless. But he wants to come and do something in you that you can't do. His second illustration is, well, I'm not going to cheat on my wife. Want to, but I'm not going to. Hey, lust, yeah, well, but I didn't. Emotional affairs, but hey, I didn't. I, I didn't act on it pornography but hey it's just a picture Jesus says what if you didn't feel what if you didn't look at women like that what if something could happen in you where you saw each other as God sees why am I going to do that you can't you can't That's impossible. I know. Because you're helpless. But what if he came? Now he climaxes that whole thing, that whole idea, with this illustration. And says, you say, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemy. Now, start with this. Number one, position. Our verse is about greeting. Do you see it? Verse 47. If you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so. So, this is all about greeting. Now, the problem is greeting in their culture was not the same as greeting in our culture. So I got to explain this to you if I can. See, I'm walking down the hallway in Wilson County Jail. And the guards and the officers are passing me by. And I say, "Hi!" Hey! They say, how you doing? Not a single, single one of them will stop and let me explain to them how I'm doing. <laughs> Why? They don't want to know. Well, why'd they ask me? It's a greeting. See, it's a greeting. We don't expect. I don't want the history of... See, when I ask you how you are, I don't, I don't want you to give me a rundown. I don't want to hear about your aches and pains. I'm not in it. I haven't got time. Just say fine and we'll move on. But that isn't the way it is in their culture. The greeting was really significant. One idea, one part of the greeting in their culture was this position idea. It's in Matthew 23 that Jesus gives his final preach message. And in this final preach message, he, uh, he really gives it to the Pharisees. I mean, the seven woes. Woe to you scribes and Pharisees. Hypocrites, he calls them. He really gives it to them. But they're not there. So he's not tongue lashing them. They've all gone off. He asked, they ask him questions all day. And, he, and finally at the end of, of that day. He asked them a question. And they really got ticked off and left. So he's turned to the crowd. And he said. I don't want you to be like the scribes and the Pharisees. And he begins to describe them. And you know how he describes them? He describes them like this. Listen to this. But all their works They do to be seen by men. They're so full of themselves. See the sin nature of self-centeredness. They're just full of it. They're really religious. They are. They do all the, they count the beads, cross themselves. They go through the whole antics. They, they do all the religious stuff. They walk certain way. They talk certain way. They have the right language. They do all the prayer thing. They do all the festivals. They do, hey, they do the feast days. They offer the sacrifices. Guys, they do everything that you would consider religious, but they do it to be seen, which kills the whole thing. Let me ask you, what would happen if on Sunday morning, on Sunday morning, at about 930, service starts at 10, at from 930 to noon, you would become invisible. Nobody could see you. If you came to church, nobody would know it. If you stayed home, nobody would know it. What would you do? Well, I only come because I have to. That's what he's saying. You do religious things, what? To be seen. If nobody knew whether I came or not, I wouldn't come. you do see they were full oh then he goes on to describe they make their phylacteries broad broad you know what a phylactery is phylactery is a little band that went around their forehead and in the middle of that little band there was a little pouch and they would write a little scripture on that pouch from the old testament put it in that uh, they would write a scripture on a piece of paper and and fold it up and put it in that little in that pouch And that way they had the law right next to, it would usually be over here by the temple, right next to their brain, right next to their their mind, their heart. And so what they did is they enlarged the band. It was small then, they enlarged it. Oh, I love your phylactery. Yeah. (laughs) It says, he says, and you know what else they do? They enlarge the, bo- the borders of their garment. See, they had, a, they had a robe kind of garment. It was a, it was a square piece of cloth, a, a robe, and they'd wrap it around them. And the four edges, the four, the four corners of the robe would hang, or the cloth would hang down. And on that, on that corner, each corner, they would put a tassel, which was symbolic of the law. So they made them big. Because they were surrounded by the law then. And it was all show. Why? Because, see, they didn't go to drunk. They weren't on drugs. They weren't out sleeping around town. They were religious. But it was the same stinking self centeredness. He goes on to explain they love the best seats at the feast, (gasps) head table. They loved the best seats in the synagogue. It was the seat on the platform working. Everybody could see you. And then he says, the greetings in the marketplace. See, the greeting in the marketplace was that you didn't greet anybody until you greeted the superior, the most important person. So, guys, when you come to church, don't say, don't say hello to anybody until you speak to me. <laughs> come on. See, that, that was the greeting idea. It was an observance of position. And I won't speak to you. You speak to me. Why? Because I'm more important than you are. He goes on to say, and they love those titles. Oh, they love those titles. Rabbi, Rabbi, thank you, thank you. Doctor, doctor, thank you. They love that. And it's all about what? It's all about position. It's all about, see, it's all about self-centered recognition of position. And you know what Jesus says in that message? He said, don't call anybody Father. Because there's only one father. Your father in heaven. Now he's not saying that you can't call your dad, dad. But this whole, it's about the title thing. Come on. It's about the title thing. Hey, hey, don't call anybody teacher. Because there's only one teacher. And that's the Christ. In fact, he goes on to say, He who is greatest among you Shall be your servant. How could that be? Because there is a well, that was Jesus, guys. See, he wasn't out for position. He didn't care about titles. What was he after? How can I help you? See, what would happen if in your helplessness you were merged with him and he literally came and you and him got together? What would that do to your approach to life? What would that do to the way you think? What would, see, how would that That's what he's talking about. And then he goes on in our passage, chapter 5. Look at verse 47. He says, if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. Now the tax collectors in their mind was the worst of sinners. So that's the bottom line. And the Pharisees are the height of religious and the height of rightness. So he compares these two. The worst person in the society and the highest person in the society. And he says... Don't you get it? They're full of the same thing. So here's the worst sinner in the world. Full of himself. Here's the best religious person in the world. Full of himself. So what's the diff? There is no difference. And he says, I don't want you to be like that. I want you to embrace your helplessness. I want you to come and in helplessness allow Him to literally do something inside of you, so deep within the very recesses of your life that you literally are changed. It's, you eliminate it. It's crucified. It's brought to death. It's. It's. You are free to. Oh, you begin to see, feel. That's what I want. Number two, that's position. So in their culture, this position idea is really strong. Number two, provision. In their culture, a greeting was a provision. Uh, For instance, you probably know that one of their favorite greeting was Salom, which is peace. But it wasn't just a hi and walk on. See, the idea was... That I want to take the peace that I have within me in relationship with God. The peace that I have within me. And I'm passing it on to you. Salome. I'm giving that to you. So I'm saying peace. I'm, I'm flowing it to your life. I'm providing this for you. Uh, in chapter 9 and 10 of Matthew. Uh, Jesus realized he needed to duplicate his ministry. And because the crowds were getting so great and he was only one man. So he asked his disciples to go to a prayer meeting. Have a prayer meeting. Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send forth laborers into the harvest field. So they begin to pray. And suddenly Jesus jumps up and says, hey, prayers have been answered. They said, wow, good. Uh, What's the answer to our prayer? He says, you are. I'm sending you. So that's all. Don't pray for anything. He'll make you head of the committee. So anyhow, uh, he's now going to send them out. But before he sends them out, he gives them this instruction. It's all of chapter 10. It's a ministry instruction uh, before they go out. And a part of the instruction is this. When you go into a household, greet it. So I'm going on to this city to preach. I go into this household to stay. And when I go into this household, I'm to greet it. And if the household is worthy... Let your greeting or peace come upon it. If it is not worthy, let your peace return. So what's the greeting? It's the provision. It's the extension. It's, it's not just being friendly. It's, it's literally extending what's inside of me to you. Wow, oh, that's a powerful idea. Did you know You're doing that whether you want to or not. You're taking what's inside of you and you're dumping it all over everybody. (laughs) Whether you want to or not. Whether you're good or bad. Whether you're full of yourself or you're not. You are dumping it all over everybody. Think of the place you live. Think of the house you live and the guys that are around you. You're creating an atmosphere. You are taking what's inside of you and you're... Hey, I've done that to my family. I've done that to my kids. Come on, the dad sits in the living room. It's all by himself. Wife is in bed. Kids are asleep. Sits in the living room. It's his personal business. Nobody knows what's going on. He's viewing pornography. You know what he's doing? He's pouring. He's literally saying to the devil, hey, take over in the sexuality of my home. And he's literally pouring that into the entire realm of his family. He's going to wake up one day and wonder why his daughter's pregnant. why his son got somebody pregnant? Well, my kids, they didn't behave themselves. Why didn't they? You sit in your living room, Buster, and you, (laughs) all over everybody. Do you see that? This is not a finger in your face. This is not a bawling out. This is a, Wow, what would happen if I was full of Jesus and you just, oh, I'm just going to dump him all over you all the time. Oh, oh. See, that, that's what he's after. So that the greeting is not just a greeting. The greeting is, hey, I grab your hand and oh, brother, I'm going to zap you with Christ. Oh. I'm going to take what's inside of me And it's going to flow into your life. So, coronavirus or not, I'm shaking your hand, man. (laughs) (sighs) Well, well, how how do I get into that? How how do I do that? (laughs) You can't do it. You can't do it. That's the whole point. This is impossible. How am I going to change? Well, pray more. (laughs) Then prayer becomes, hey, look at me. Hey. Fast forward. Well, then it becomes look. See, it isn't more activity. All deeds of sin can be forgiven. But there is this nature thing, guys. There's this nature thing. And yeah, hey, we don't want you on drugs. We don't want you drinking beer. We, yeah, I got that. We want, we want this to change. But it isn't just changing this that we're after. It's, oh, see if this nature thing could change. If this, oh. And if you say, well, manley, I, I, I notice you guys, uh, you guys use the altar a lot. You have altar calls. Why? There's no magic at the altar. In fact, the truth of the matter is I made these things myself. <laughs> Two by sixes. Hey, chop them up, burn them in your fireplace. It's just wood, man. It's no big deal. So, what's the point? The point is, there's one reason why you won't get out of your seat and come. What's that reason? Well, what do people think? See, you never have a stand, so we have to crawl over each other. I know. So everybody in the row is gonna know I'm going. I know. Never ever gonna stare. I knew he needed to go. <laughs> See I don't go because my wife would think I'm saying she's right. <laughs> See, it's 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 this nature that keeps you from coming. So the altar is all about what? Breaking with your self-centeredness. Breaking with your pride. Breaking with your, hey. So that in a confrontation, in a moment with Jesus, there's this, there's this, there's this alteration. There's this embracing. There's this, there's this deeper linkage. There's this, I want that, man. Oh Jesus! uh. Wow, there is clarity, isn't there? There is, there is. This is not. This doesn't have to be confusing, does it, Lord? You 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 do want to give us truth, don't you? We can understand, can't we? We can. Yes, we can. If we're honest. If we're really open. If I could take everything in my life today and have it up for grabs and you, hey Lord, I'm hanging on to nothing. You can change anything you want to change about me. You can alter anything in my life you want to alter. Have at it. Would you, what would you do to me? What would, what would you change in me, God? What would you, what are the walls in my life? What, what's, what's the selfish, self-centered, what's the tendency, what's the patterns I've established? What, what, what do you want to do? today and will I let you break me of my pride break me of my positions break me of the titles break me smash me Come after me like a bulldozer. Don't let me get by. Nail me, man. That I might be an instrument of your presence. I might greet and in greeting. Pass you on to the lives around me. Hey, heads are bowed. No pressure. Nobody's going to come and get you. Hey, it's your deal. It's an invitation. I want to kneel. I want him to do something deeper in my life. I want no hesitations. I want no reservations. I want no conditions in my life on this. I'm wide open to whatever he wants to do. Would you like to kneel with me and just seek him? Do you really want truth, change, alteration? Would you be open to an invasion of his presence? Just some moments of seeking. Be obedient.